Welcome to the Mace Abroad Podcast. Today we will be hearing from Azik Wade Chandler about his teaching abroad experience. Azik also speaks three languages and is a man who has gained international BAUS status by traveling to over 40 countries and counting. Much of Zeke's previous seven-year teaching experience was as an experiential education expedition leader. This type of teaching relies on hands-on, outdoors experiences, strongly rooted in challenges, communication, and reflection. In my opinion, a highly effective way to learn. Now, for the first time, he is teaching at an international school in Venezuela, a country that is in a terrible economic crisis. But hey, Zeke is up for the challenge, and despite these conditions, students still need teachers and the opportunity to learn. I can't wait to hear about his experience so far and how it's coming together. Today, the goal for you is to take something out of this conversation to help you begin your life abroad. So if you're ready, let's go. From New York, currently is teaching in Venezuela. Well, we're going to get right into a couple of questions here about traveling. So, since you started teaching abroad, where have you traveled and what have you been able to experience? It's been a good um, 42 countries, I believe, um, since I started. But I would definitely say that uh, my teaching experience is a bit different than, uh, than most folks. Mm-hmm. So as a certified teacher, this is my first time teaching abroad. Um, however, I, like I said, about 42 countries traveling. Um, first as a student, uh, I was studying architecture at the University of Notre Dame. So I ended up spending a year um, studying architecture in Rome as wow. a part of that program. So that was my first experience abroad. Um, since then, you know, that kind of wet my palate for international travel. Yeah. I, um, also taught at a high school in, uh, Bluefields, Nicaragua as a Peace Corps volunteer. So that was my first experience after college living abroad. Um, and then since then I've led, uh, experiential expeditions with programs like Carpe Diem Education, uh, Youth International and, um, the U.S. Experiment in International Living. And with those organizations, I took um, high school students abroad uh, in the summer for any from five to seven weeks to countries like Spain, Italy, or Belize. And then I would take um, college-age students on three-month trips to places like Southeast Asia, um, uh, Fiji, New Zealand, Australia, mm-hmm. uh, Peru, Ecuador, um, and Bolivia, those kinds of um, trips. So it's been a lot of traveling, a lot of different countries in different ways. The experiential education, again is not so much the um, certified teaching, but it was definitely a way to, to get to see the world and be involved in um, hands-on education. I am practically blown away by that track record. Not only is it powerful teaching experience, but also your, your traveling and just the things you've been involved with, are that is pretty incredible. And I think hands-on education is uh, such an important are such an effective way to learn, you know, getting out there. And it seems like your experience is just is a, a wide gamut of things and 
you know, it all started when it sounds like back in Notre Dame when you got that you know, a little taste of traveling and really being able to develop yourself in that way um, outside of, of the states and, you know, outside of your comfort zone. So uh, that's that's very impressive. And so you've, you've been a lot of places, travel a lot. What would you what would be a travel tip that you would give uh, to some of our listeners or your top travel tip? I think the most important, um, you know, things to have in, in mind are to be open-minded and to be flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that a lot of people, you know, we we have an idea about how the world should be or how the world is. Um, but I found that once you open yourself up and decide, oh, I'm just going to go with the flow here, see what what's going on here, mm-hmm. and be less judgmental, but more um, you can observe and learn from observing as opposed to judging. Right. Um, and I think that when you come in with that mindset, um, the world kind of opens up for you. It opens up to you and for you. Um, you know, I can, I'll say that one of the things, um, you know, that I, I grew up playing soccer. It's a long story, but anyway, I grew mm-hmm. up playing soccer. And um, one of the things that I learned is just when I go, when I see a pickup soccer game in any country, I can hop in and play the game. You know, I'm not expecting, you know, I'm watching to see how other people play. I play that way. I'm not you know, right. trying to call fouls or anything like that. Uh-huh. By the end of the game, you know, I've made friends and people are inviting me over to their homes to, you know, have food or have a drink or whatever. Right. And um, and even in many countries where I didn't even know the language yet, you know, I was able to meet people and, and, um, and learn to converse and be a part of welcomed into the community just by jumping into a soccer game, that kind of thing. Right. So I love that. Just the part of but disassociating yourself with the judgment of, of a situation and being able to just be present with whatever situation that is um, with that open mind. Uh, that's I think that's a great tip, uh, allowing you to get a full experience and, um, you know, just just an experience that you wouldn't have if you're taking that taking that putting that judgment hat on and, and talking. Exactly. To them, you know, so. Uh, that's great. And I, I grew up playing basketball. And, you know, I think from sports, you you're really able to learn, um, learn how to how to communicate in a different way. And, you know, just able to um, it, there's a lot of lessons to be learned in, you know, while playing and, and observing sports. All right. Absolutely. Awesome. So the next next topic we're going to get into is fitting in abroad. So, you know, you again been to, to many places. So. And, but in Venezuela, I think it's a little bit different. So um, what lifestyle changes have you had to adjust to since uh, coming to Venezuela? Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, Venezuela <laughs> is trickier than any place that, um, that I've visited. Again, it's been over 40 countries now. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that this has been the most difficult um, place to, to adjust to. Part of it, I think, mm-hmm. has to do with the way in which I'm traveling here. So as... as um, as an international educator teaching at an international school, um, I don't have the entree into the community that I did in a lot of other ways. So when okay. I was leaving those experiential learning trips, for instance, we would often live with host families. So people would invite you into the community. And the idea was that the kids learn from the experience of living with those families. So we weren't yeah. looking for um, you know, the families that were considered uh, upper class or wealthy families. Whereas here, that's who we're teaching. I'm teaching you know, kids who can afford to attend um, an international school here in Venezuela. So on the one hand, it makes me feel, you know, we're safe because mm-hmm. we, we're paid well. We live in a part of the, of the country where, um, you know, we're not, we don't fall victim to um, any of the crime and, and stuff that, you know, folks who are struggling have to deal with. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it means that we're a bit cut off and isolated. 
Um, so we don't really socialize with the families. That's not really, um, it's a bit frowned upon. And then that makes it harder to meet folks who are from Venezuela because, you know, Venezuelan with the crisis as it is right now, you know, there's not a whole lot of clubs and discotheques and places where people hang out, um, go dancing, the things that my wife and I like to do. Uh-huh. And so it's it's more difficult to meet people that way. Um, even to pick up soccer here, you know, I found the game. It took me about three months before I found my first pick up soccer oh, game. Wow. And when I, when I asked my students about it, I was like, why doesn't anybody play pick up soccer? They said, well, we used to, you know, but since the crisis, people got kidnapped. And so people aren't playing out in the in open anymore. So you have to know who's playing when and where. Yep. And so that, that kind of stuff has made things difficult. Um, the fact that inflation is just ridiculous right now, to give you an idea, when I arrived here, um, you know, the dollar was about 10,000 Bolivar days. And okay. so just to give you an idea what that means, I could buy, you know, a dozen eggs for, for, you know, less than two bucks. Now that same dozen eggs, you know, with the way that inflation is working right now, the mm-hmm. dollar is about 730,000 Bolivar days. Oh and so, you know, for somebody who earns money, who earns their um, their living, their, their salary in yep. Bolivar days, that same um you know, dozen eggs is, is more than 20 bucks now, right. you know, 40 bucks. Depending on, yeah, it, it really is. So, um, so, you know, I can complain about it being difficult to, um, to find, you know, fresh leafy green vegetables or ginger or mm-hmm. habanero peppers, you know, things like that, that I should be able to, I could go to a grocery store anywhere and find, or even, you know, any kind of hot peppers here, you know, those kinds of things are difficult to come by now. Wow. Um, but again, you know, I have to count my blessings because we still get paid in U.S. dollars. Um, and, and so it's just a matter of me trying to figure out how to trade that money and, um, you know, and, and do these little workarounds. I guess that's what it comes down to. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's a long story in terms of how to trade money and, and whatnot. You just don't go to a, to a regular exchange here because... Uh, the government is monitoring the rate and the official rate is not what um, what the actual rate is. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of maneuvering that, that totally. has to take place. Yeah, that's uh, fitting in abroad. A lot of times the, the uh, political the political situations and economic situations are something that need to be you know, that have to be taken in consideration when you're when people are going to different countries and. But it's it's hard to even judge that when the fluctuation in Venezuela, for example, is so so vast. I mean, that's just uh, that's really hard to grasp. Uh, I think just even the the numbers that you put out, that's just a hard concept. You know, you're talking about a dozen yeah, being twenty dollars. Oh my god! <laughs> right, right. And yeah. I mean, I'm here, and it changes so quickly from from week to week that wow. you know it's hard for me to wrap my head. Around it, so you know, just trying to trying to explain and describe it to other folks makes it difficult. But I would say too um, that you know we know that there is a, a population of people of African descent here mm-hmm. in uh, in Venezuela, and my wife and I haven't found them in the particular part of Venezuela in which we live. So that's another part in terms of being cut off from um, people of African descent, whether they be African Americans or Afro- uh, African Venezuelans. Um, you know, that too presents a, another challenge. But in terms of, you know, being accepted, um, you know, it's one of those things where I feel, again, if you're approaching any situation with an open mind, um, greeting people, you know, remembering your pleases and your thank yous and your smiles and all of those kinds of things, um, we feel accepted in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we feel like we fit in in that sense. We don't feel that that we are, um, you know, given the side eye or, you know, not accepted. 
Um, yeah. But in terms of, you know, finding our community and, and finding what it is that, that we hoped to find and that we have found in, in so many other places, um, you know, that's been a bit more challenging just because of the crisis here. You know, finding yeah. a, a park where my wife can just walk around, you know, and, right. and play in the grass or whatever, that kind of stuff is challenging. Yeah. And that's, you know, I never thought of it. But when you mentioned your previous experiences being more experiential learning and with the Peace Corps and... So those those situations where you're actually living with the host family is such a vast difference from what I'm doing. And I feel like we're we're kind of doing the same thing as far as teaching in an international school. And this is my first international teaching experience, but it is with a more affluent uh, population of students and a population of the of the country, really. And, you you know, you just don't get the I, I, I would imagine it sounds like you kind of confirmed it is that you don't get that type of. Um, uh, cultural experience, I guess you can put it, right. Um, right. Doing, doing what we're doing. But then again, you still get some other experiences, you know, dealing with those kids and seeing the other side um, that are exactly. that are equally as rich. So, okay. Also, so we're going to take a quick break there. Um, we're going to next talk a little bit about skills and experience. We're going to talk about what a typical work day is like for Zeke. And also, we're going to address uh, the money situation, uh, just particularly for Zeke as a teacher. This is Mesa Broad. We'll be right back. Listen what your mama say, and your papa say too now. Not everyone picking choose like you do. Chandler, who is t- currently teaching in Venezuela. We're going to get right into it, talk about skills and experience. So what made you want to teach internationally? Um, it's actually, a, um, you know, there were a sequence of events that, that happened kind of hand in hand mm-hmm. um, that made me turn to, to international teaching again. So bear with me. It's a, it's a bit of a long story, but um, no, no problem. I'll, yeah, I'll start by saying that um, I had been traveling for a good long while and I just decided, okay, ultimately I wanted to start my own school um, for African-American boys to kind of stem the tide, uh, the dropout to the prison pipeline. I wanted to stem that tide. Um, So I finally put down the backpack in 2012 and went to graduate school, earned a master of arts in teaching um, in hopes of, you know, making sure that I had the paperwork behind my name that said, okay, he knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. So I decided I was going to teach in Charleston for a couple of years um, but ended up marrying uh, a woman who was in med school. She graduated. We ended up going to Massachusetts to um, for her residency program. Wow. And my daughter was born. We stayed there for um, a couple of years. The marriage didn't work out. And I moved back to Charleston because the plan had always been to move back to Charleston. Mm-hmm. I was going to teach for a couple of years in Charleston, then work on getting my own school off the ground. Gotcha. My ex-wife um, decided that she wasn't going to go back to Charleston and ended up staying up in Massachusetts with my daughter. Um, and at the time, uh, here, the, here, the, the three or four things that ended up happening in quick succession. Yeah. Um, one, I was struggling or 
I should say South Carolina was struggling to recognize my um, certification from Massachusetts. Now, I had done my homework before I went to South Carolina, and so I knew that um, I had to take one test that I couldn't in Massachusetts, it was a practice test called the um, Principles of Learning and Teaching. Gotcha. So I took that before I left South Carolina, got certified in Massachusetts, knowing that having taken the PLT and my Massachusetts certification should make South Carolina recognize that certification. So then I would be certified in both states. Okay. Got back to South Carolina, South Carolina, the Charleston um, County School Board, um, and then the South Carolina Department of Education wouldn't recognize my certification. I had to jump through all of these hoops. Yes. Um, there was a great deal of racism in terms of, um, you know, how people were dealing with me. And at the end, I just said, you know what? I don't need this. You know, I'm not your Negro. I can work wherever I want to work. Right. Um, and so I thought about where I was going to go next. So that was one thing. The next thing that happened was that um, 45 was, quote unquote, elected. I couldn't believe that. And I decided I was not going to stay in, in the United States and have any of my money contribute to his misogyny and racism and, and what he wanted to do, his oh, idea of the United States. That's right. um, so there was that aspect. I didn't want to, to have any of my tax dollars contributing to, to that particular government, a Absolutely. government that was sanctioning um, violence against black bodies, gov- you know, government sanctioned um, violence, state sanctioned violence against black bodies. Didn't want to um, contribute to that. Yes. So then it was, OK, now it's time to go abroad. And um, another thing was that I was earning actually less money in South Carolina um, than I am here in Venezuela. Um, so it was making it difficult for me to spend time with my daughter in Massachusetts. Yeah. So when, it, when I looked at these international schools, I was, my wife and I were thinking, oh, maybe it's time for us to, we got to get out of the country. Mm-hmm. So we looked at a number of schools. Um, again, this job that I found here in Venezuela pays better than I was earning in South Carolina. And that's before I even considered the fact that I don't have to pay for housing, electricity, water, car notes, right. um, car insurance, any of All that, that stuff. Yeah. You know, all of that. So I'm getting paid better here. But I also have more vacation time here than I had in South Carolina, which meant that even though I was all the way, I'm all the way here in Venezuela at the beginning before the crisis hit, um, as bad as it is now, I could actually fly home, spend more time with my daughter and fly back um, for less money than I could from South Carolina. And so um, so it, it just ended up being. Um, you know, kind of a no-brainer. We wanted to be out of the country. We didn't want to be supporting um, Trump's government, and uh, and we wanted to. I wanted to make enough money to be able to spend time with my daughter and have more time to spend with my daughter. So all of those together made Venezuela a much better option, or teaching abroad, I should say, mm-hmm. a much better option than, than staying in South Carolina. Yes. So so it sounds like it was a kind of a perfect storm. I think that's very admirable. Uh, wanting to open up the boys' school. Because we know in the United States, it is a pipeline for black men to go, you know, if they don't graduate high school, what, what else do they have? The system is set up in a way that if you don't graduate high school, you have very limited options. So what your options are is what you kind of fall back to is, you know, the things that are going on in the street. And, uh, you know, I think the system is quite flawed. So that, I think that's a great idea. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, also those hoops you had to go through. And and in the United States, also from state to state, because I went to Chicago. I started in Chicago. Then I went to go teach in Denver. But it's like you have to take all these tests to get certified. And I already have, you know, I have proven, you know, proven skills, experience. But despite that, you still have to go through hoops to get a, you know, a piece of paper that says you can take a test. So, you know, those things are, um, you know, they are that they are. And 
so how do you feel about your decision to have, you know, um, now that you've been teaching a little, a uh, little while in Venezuela, was that a good decision? Do you feel? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. An excellent decision in terms of, um, again, the, the time that it affords me, um, to spend with my daughter was good. Now with the crisis here, there's some things that have changed. And so, you know, my wife and I have decided that you, we're going at the end of this year, we're um, moving to, we're going to teach abroad elsewhere. Okay. Um, just to give you an, an understanding of what that means. When I first arrived here, when we accepted the job, um, I could actually fly from the city in which we live now, Maturin, to, um, to New York, which is right near where my daughter is. And I could do that. I could make mm-hmm. that flight in less than 24 hours um, for less than $500. Yeah, since bad. we've been here, no, not at all. But since we've been here with the with the crisis, um, the flights from Maturin have significantly scaled back. And then the flights from the n- nearest city to Miami um, have also significantly scaled back, which means that where I used to be able to get home in less than 24 hours for less than $500, now it takes me at least two days to get there and at least two days to get back. Oof. And when I factor in, you know, hotel costs and that kind of stuff, um, the price goes from, you know, under $500 to closer to $1,500. Oh, and so that means that, um, you know, we're going to go elsewhere at this point. Um, we'll still be abroad, um, someplace where I can get from, you know, to, uh, wherever we are to my daughter in less than 24 hours. Um, but, you know, it just means that, that we're going elsewhere at this point. Right. And so I'm, I'm, I was happy with the decision. I don't, you know, I'm not unsatisfied or unhappy with the decision in any, by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. Again, we've, I've saved more money, um, still have more vacation time. I'm going to have a full three months of summer to spend with my daughter. Right. Um, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, and, yeah, we got to experience an, another part of the world, a country that had been on my, uh, on my bucket list for a while, um, you know, I'm, everyone says, ah, oh, you should have come a few years ago when it wasn't so bad. Sure. And, and I definitely wish that I could have come then. Yeah. But um, but I'm glad to be here now and to be witness to, to what's going on as well. Yeah. If, if anything, it's just also another, you know, with your open mindedness, that's a, it's a great learning experience for the next you know opportunity for you. And also with the with teaching abroad, I think that's another good thing that you you don't have to stay. You know, you're not obligated to stay anywhere for. You know, it, sometimes it changes, you know, six months, it could be one year, two years, uh, whatever it is. But there are many opportunities, you know, out there once you've exactly you know, once you really look into it. Um, and how did so how did you because I got my current teaching job, I went to this international career fair. How did you get mm-hmm. your current teaching job? I, um, I went to I looked at a few different uh, online sites for um, where teachers where teachers with certification are hired. Gotcha. And so yep. um, there were two sites that had been mentioned to me. Um, one was ISS International School Services. Um, and I can't remember the name of the other one at this point, but but both of them, you know, charged a fee okay. to, to be associated with them. Um, the one that I ended up going with instead was um, Thai Online. I think it's teacher, uh, Teachers of International Education. Oh, I can't even think of what it's called. But if you look up Thai yeah. Online, um, it'll come up. And basically what you have there are a number of schools that are advertising, um, international schools for the most part, but they're advertising for teachers. Okay. Um, so I put up a profile there, and, um, and I would reach out to a lot of the schools independently um, but it was actually the 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 head um, head of school now was actually the principal then, and, and he was the one who reached out to me um, and sent me uh, asked me if I was interested in applying. 
So um, I ended up applying to, to many schools. And when it came down to make the decision, um, I was weighing between this school here in Venezuela. There was a school in Egypt and another one in Guatemala. Okay. And, uh, and this one here, um, the International School of Managas, ended up being um, the best bet, you know. Yep. Um, the, the, the amount of pay that they were offering, you know, amounts to hazard pay, but um, That's right. you know, insurance and everything else. It yeah. was like, all right, well, they're paying not much. We're going to go give it a shot. You know, I'd been a Peace Corps volunteer in Nicaragua. At the time, Nicaragua was the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere and, um, and considered one of the most dangerous. And I was like, well, I survived Nicaragua. I can, you know, I'm sure right. Venezuela will be, will be fine. So Yeah. Yeah, that's similar to my story as well. Honduras, there's, it's not explicit, but there is, a, I think, a part of hazard pay that goes in there because right. it is, um, you know, n- known as a very dangerous uh, country, one of the most dangerous. So, exactly. all right, great. So we're going to move on to uh, next topic of a typical workday for you. So can you just t- walk us through what would be a typical workday for you? All right. The school day starts at um, 7.30. Uh, the students arrive at 7.30. Okay. Um, actually, actually, class starts at 7.30. Yeah. So I need to be here by 7 a.m. I live less than a mile away from the schools. Um, before I bought a, a truck, um, the school actually gives you a loan, a no-interest loan. Um, if you're interested in buying a vehicle, they offered a no-interest loan. I took the loan, and then they would take out um, 10% of that loan over 10 pay periods. And so wow. it ended up being a good deal. Yeah, but is. before I ended up buying the truck, um, they would actually send somebody to come pick me up and they would pick me up at 6:30 so that I'd be to school at, you know, 6:40. um, get myself together before my students arrive, you know, lesson plan, grade papers, whatever. Sure. Yep. Um, and then I teach, let's see, I teach two classes back to back from 7:30 to 8:20 is my eighth grade class. From 8.43 to 9.33 is my sixth grade class. We have a 10-minute break. Then I teach a fifth grade class from 9.48 to 10.38. Then I have a planning period. And then I have a seventh grade class from 11.30 to to 12.24. So that's all of the teaching that I do. Mm -hmm. Um, That's quote-unquote middle school math. Um, And then the day ends. So I have lunch from 12.45. Uh, from 12:24 to 12:54, and then I'm planning the last two periods. The students leave at 2:40, and then um, I'm here until 3:30, either grading papers, planning, or working with um, you know students who might need some some extra assistance or some tutoring. Yeah. And then um, let's see on Mondays, Wednesday, on Mondays and Fridays, I head to the gym for a couple of hours. Um, and then Wednesdays, I play soccer, um, pick up soccer with uh, with some friends. And then um, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I want to do my shopping. And, you know, when I mentioned that being a difficult part, again, you uh-huh. know, it's, um, it's quote unquote, uh, how would I say it? Um, people with money problems here in Venezuela and that I, you know, I can, oh, my God, I got to go to three, four different places before I can find what it is I'm looking for <laughs> right. um, to, to finish my shopping, which is a hassle if I think about living in the States, you know, yes. where I can just go to the grocery store and, you know, be in and out in 15, 20 minutes with everything that I want and Easily. not have a hassle. Here it's going to take me an hour and a half, two hours, because I have to go to all these different places. But again, you know, I have the money and I have mm-hmm. the vehicle and I come home with everything at the end of those two hours. Right. So while I can complain about it, you know, I try not, I have to remember that there are people who don't have vehicles, who can only go to a couple of places, can't afford the things that I can afford. That's right. And so, you know, um, I take it with a grain of salt. 
Um, so yeah, spend a couple of hours. I go home, um, hang out with my wife. We do some cooking. We do some meeting. We um, watch Atlanta or um, you know Queen Sugar or <laughs> <laughs> something else on uh, yeah. with the you know on the VPN on the um, Netflix or the uh, Fire Stick. Yeah, and. Then um, I try to get to bed, you know, by 10 so that I, I can, um, my objective is to, is to gain weight at the gym. So, you know, I have to yep. I have to eat a lot of food, work out and get a lot of sleep in order to, you know, to do what I want to do. But yep. more often than not, I'm getting to bed later than I want to get to bed. And then, you know, everything starts all over the next day. That's right. So, you know, it sounds like with your schedule is you, you have a, a good amount of time to plan, uh, which is good throughout the day. But also at the end of the day you have, you know, the whole afternoon to, to do things like, you know, hitting the gym, uh, you know, going, going to play soccer or, you know, hanging out with your, with your wife, the family. So your, your work isn't all consuming, like, is that what, exactly. that's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of, we're running on a similar schedule. I think the grocery store is a little bit more of an easy task here than it sounds like, uh, than what you have, but there is a stark difference between some of the, you know, the people who are who have money, and then, you know, those who don't, you just can kind of see it um, in the city. So that's, right. like you said, a grain of salt. I love that. All right, so finally, the last topic, we're going to talk real quick about money, which we've touched on a little bit throughout the conversation. But the question is, does your salary allow you to live comfortably? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, even with the inflation, the way that it's, the, the way that it's been rising since we've been here, um, at the beginning of the year, we would, uh, you know, when we first got here in, I guess, July, um, I want to say that I exchanged maybe 200 bucks in August. And, um, and that 200 bucks lasted me for August, September, um, and October. Wow. Um, you know, my, it's, and, and that's my wife and me. It covered mm-hmm. both of us for that time, groceries and everything. Um, now I might have to, you know, exchange three or 400 bucks a month um, in order to live off of that. So, uh, that's been, become a, a bit more of a challenge, but you know, it, if we, if you're getting paid, um, four times that amount a month, um, then, you know, you're saving the rest of it. So, right. um, you know, it, it's, it's, yes, I can afford to live well. Um, mm-hmm. now the one thing that I didn't know about this particular school, um, that I wish I had known before coming is that because it's hazard pay, and they don't want you to leave, you know, they, they call it midnight runs. So somebody might accept the job, go somewhere, find out they don't like the country and then leave before the end of the contract. Sure. So I signed a year long contract. Um, but instead of them paying us the same amounts, you know, every month, mm-hmm. um, they basically have a balloon payment that they pay me, you know, in June at the end of my contract. That's right. So if I were to leave early, I wouldn't get that amount of money. Um, so my monthly paycheck is less than I expect, but again, you know, I still have over, you know, a thousand dollars at the end of it after I paid my bills at home, after I paid, you know, after we bought groceries and whatnot here, I have at least that much. And then, you know, at the end of the contract, it'll be another $8,000, um, that, that'll be a bonus. No, 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 that's not a bonus in my salary, Mm -hmm. um, that we'll get at the end of the, at the end of the year. So yes, live comfortably, um, you know, for the first several months, let's see, we had an October break, we had a Christmas break, we had a February break, um, and then we had a spring break. Um, so the Christmas break was three months, uh, three weeks, and the other breaks were a week apiece. And so I went home for all of the breaks except the spring break um, to spend time with my daughter. And right. so, you know, I, when you say live comfortably, 
Um, I couldn't do that from Charleston. When I was living in Charleston, I couldn't, I couldn't get up to Massachusetts to spend time with my daughter. One, because I didn't have the amount of time. And two, because just paying the bills meant, you know, it was going to be, I'd either have to drive or fly. And, you know, I couldn't, I didn't have the time to drive and I didn't have the money to fly. Yeah, it's much better here. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I was from, you know, came from Chicago, moved to Denver, two pretty big hubs for for flights. So the flights aren't Mm -hmm. that... They're not that expensive, but my girlfriend who lives in, who's from Washington, flights from there are not, not as cheap. So you end up spending like $700 trying to go from Denver to, uh, to Washington when I could pretty much do the same thing living in Honduras going to Chicago. So it's exactly. a lot of it's about airports and stuff. And so my second part of the question was going to be if it's possible to save money. And it really sounds like that you can and you could even you know, travel if you'd like. Uh, which you've been making those trips back to the States. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that wraps up the show for today. Zeke, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I know we've been playing a little phone tag, but (laughs) (laughs) well worth it. I'm I'm so glad we got this conversation. It's my pleasure. Now, you know, I'm I'm glad to support you in any way that I can, man. Seriously, if you ever have any questions or, or DB to, to, um, um, you know, run anything by me in the future, et cetera. I'm, I'm happy to do so. I really appreciate what you're doing. I think that it's important for people of African descent in particular to realize just how big the world is and how many other opportunities That's that right. we have out there. Yeah. You know, when I talk about the school, um, you know, my wife and I were, you know, I'd, I was doing a bit of hand wringing for a while saying, well, you know, if I can't start the school, if I don't work with the African-American boys in the States, what am I doing with my life? Sure. And um, and we came to the, to the conclusion that, you know, maybe it's just better for us to focus on ourselves right now. Mm-hmm. But then we might end up opening a school in, in Africa, you know, in West Africa somewhere where right. we can have a school and invite people to leave the United States, man, and, mm-hmm. and be in a, in a community, in an environment that's less, less toxic, um, yeah. you know, so... Um, so anyway, all that to say, I really appreciate you broadening folks' horizons, and um, and I'm glad to support in any way that I can, man. Keep up the good work. Awesome. I appreciate that. And so is there any way that some of our listeners can follow you, like on, do you have a Facebook or, you know, a Facebook group, Instagram, uh, website or anything Absolutely. like that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not on Instagram okay. or Twitter right now, just because of the uh, the internet connection here is not the, the greatest. I got you. Um, yeah. I can be found on, on, um, on Facebook. And um, and I also have um, a blog that I have not updated in in a couple of years. But, you know, people are interested in finding out about Thailand, for instance, or um, Tanzania. They can find my my blog at um, www.azikwechandler.com. That's A-Z-I-K-I-W-E-C-H-A-N-D-L-E-R. Dot com. And um, like I said, I haven't updated in a while. But if you were interested in Thailand, you just, you know, click um, type Thailand into the blogger search engine mm-hmm. and it would bring up all of the blogs that I wrote about on Thailand. Um, so that's one way to find me. And then, yeah, if I don't mind um, entertaining folks who find me on Facebook as well as equally. Um, right now it's Azikwe Z Chala Chandler because um, I love the uh, the Black Panther oh, yeah. what it's been doing <laughs> for the world. <laughs> but um, yeah. but you know in a couple of weeks it might be back to Azikwe Z Chandler. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm the only Azikwe Chandler that you'll find here. So yeah, if probably. you can spell my first name correctly, you'll be able to find it. Excellent. I'll leave a link to all of that in the post here. Again, that was Azikwe Chandler. I'm Mace Abroad. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Mace Abroad. And if you're interested in seeing how you can teach abroad, start traveling and experiencing new things, 
go to my website, mesabroad.com, and fill out the contact form. I'll send you a free Teacher Broad qualifications guide. All the information is on the site. You are capable of more than you think. Don't let anyone tell you different. I'm Mesa Broad, and thanks for listening. Listen what your mama say, and your papa say too now.